0: Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Would you pray with me? And so, Lord, we do. We come. We come with empty hands. We have nothing to offer you that would make us acceptable in your sight. We have nothing that we can give you that will add value to you in any way. We come as D.T. Niles said, as beggars who have been told by other beggars where to find bread. We come to you, Lord, with empty hands. And Lord, we're so thankful that you you are our God who provides. And you have provided your Son, Jesus, through whom we find forgiveness of sin, through whom we find everlasting life, And so, Lord, again, today, we come to you. We have been unfaithful. You are ever faithful. We come to you. Through your word this day and by your spirit, speak to our hearts. Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we walk back out into Christmas Day celebrations, we walk out more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered why God hasn't just been done with us by now? I mean, seriously, you, you watch the news. And if you're like me, you watch the news and, and it doesn't take long until you're just shaking your head. How many of you shake your head at the news? Anybody? You ever watch it and just... And then, <laughs> if, if you live your life with any sort of introspection whatsoever, you look within yourself and if you're like me, and you're honest with yourself, when you look within yourself, sometimes you emerge, you're shaking your head sometimes. Have you ever done that? I mean, I'll be honest with you. Throughout this entire celebration of Christmas, this entire Advent period, as I have navigated the streets and stores of Bowling Green, Kentucky, I have found myself confessing to God more than usual. Because some of the thoughts that have gone through my mind have not always been filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. I <laughs> wonder sometimes why God isn't done with us. But frankly, He probably should have been done with us many times throughout the course of human history. I mean, go back to the Garden of Eden. God put the first man and the first woman in paradise. The very word Eden means delight. He gave them everything that they needed. They were set there to work the ground and to enjoy it. It was was work without toil, and we don't understand what that is. We get glimpses of it, things that we enjoy doing for a moment. Well, they were in the place called delight, there to just enjoy God and his perfect creation. And they had one rule, just one, not 10, not 613, just the one. You all can enjoy all of this. But there's a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that. Don't eat of that tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God told Adam. Adam was responsible for telling Eve, and then came the snake. And what happened? The snake spoke to Eve. Eve ate. Where was Adam? Oh, he was standing right there. I heard somebody say one time, well, Adam was off playing the back nine. He wasn't paying attention to what was going on at the house. No, no. He was right there. He who had received from the very voice of Almighty God, don't do this, listen to a talking snake. And what did he do? He ate. And you know, had I been God, my Bible probably would have been really, really thin. Because by the time we got to Genesis chapter three around verse two or three, I would have been done. It's over. It was nice while it lasted, but I'm done. But that's not the character of our God. What about, what about how the world had become when Noah was on the earth? Remember, the world was, was going crazy. The Bible says that of all the people who lived on the planet, the thoughts and intentions of their hearts were only evil all the time. The only righteous and upright person was Noah, and he brought his family along with him. He brought his wife, he had three sons, and they had three, each had a wife. And they were the ones that had any inclination to serve God in the whole world. I believe i would have been done. Wouldn't have you? You just said, you know what? This is not worth the effort. Let's just wipe it out. But that's not the character of our God. What about when we tried to build the Tower of Babel? He'll say, do you believe that really happened? Do you believe that the people of the world came together and tried to build a tower to reach the heavens to magnify their glory? Uh, yes. I can look around at Kurtovitz right now, and guess what we're still trying to do? We're still trying to build towers that reach into the heavens to magnify our glory. I absolutely believe the Tower of Babel happened. I believe when that happened, I, I probably would have been done had I been God. You know, I've had enough. They will not honor me, they will not glorify me, they will not worship me, they will not serve me, they are consumed with their own glory. That's not the character of our God. He called Abraham, he was Abram at the time, Abram and Sarai, who would become Abraham and Sarah. And he called Abram to follow him out of Ur of the Chaldees into a land that he would show him and what did Abram do he believed God and God would tell us that Abram believed God and God credited to him as righteousness his faith led him to act but then what did Abram do throughout the 25 years that he was waiting on the fulfillment of the promise of Almighty God kept asking God when's it gonna happen when's it gonna happen when's it gonna happen I don't know about you all but at my house this morning we kept getting a question when can we go in the living room when can we go in the living room when can we go in the living room? have you all experienced that and does it get on your nerves well can you imagine being god and not only was he listening to abraham he was listening to everybody else when's it going to happen lord when's it going to happen when can we go when will it come through when will it all if i'd have been god i'd been you know what I'm done." And then when Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, you remember the whole Hagar and Ishmael situation? Uh, That didn't go so well. But God continued steadfastly. And throughout the course of Old Testament history, all the times God's people got it wrong. All the times God's people said, yeah God you gave us this, but. It's kinda like giving a Christmas present to a teenager it was so funny our my wife and her sister found some old home movies they used to have these things called camcorders now you just use your phone but they had these things called camcorders and you could record things and they would put them on a tape and you would put that tape in what was called a VCR and then you could watch what you looked like in real life now I know this is not new or exciting to anybody in today's generation but this was amazing that you could record yourself Well, what's funny is they found these tapes and both of both my my wife and her sister were kind of in their teenage or preteen years and they got to watch themselves as they opened presents and one of them I'll not say which one emerged deeply embarrassed at the way they were acting as a teenager on Christmas morning receiving gifts It's kind of like, I had an aunt who loved to give me clothes. Nice clothes, really nice clothes. Had little alligators on them. You know what I'm talking about? But I didn't care anything about nice clothes. And so you know what I would do after she had invested all that money? I would open that present and I would go, clothes. I wish I could go back and shake myself, you know? Well, how often have we done that with God? Lord, you've given me so much, but it's not enough. That's what God's people did. Lord, you've given us manna. You've brought us out from slavery. You're feeding us miraculously in the desert. Well, it's not enough. We need some meat. We're tired of heavenly frosted flakes. We need some meat. I believe I'd had enough. But that's not the character of our God. Or Perhaps during that 400-year period right before the birth of Christ. They, they didn't have a prophet. They didn't have a word from God. And what did they do? Did they seek God more earnestly? No. They turned away to syncretism and to superstition. In the days leading up to Jesus' birth, the religion that God had established had, had taken a turn. It had mixed with a lot of other religions that had nothing to do with the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they carried around little amulets, little good luck charms. Little rabbit's feet, if you will, because they wanted God and they wanted what the other gods could offer as well. They wanted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they wanted the rains to come and water their crops. They wanted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they also wanted fertility within their family. And they found that there were other pagan gods that could maybe give them a little help in these other areas. Had I been God, I believe I would have been done. But that's not the character of our God. Now, the character of our God is to look at a world filled with people like that, filled with people like us, and to send His only begotten Son to save us. I want to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Today we're going to look at verses 2 through 7. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you here in the room, that is page 573. And I want to give you this theme on Christmas morning. Through Christ, God offers salvation to all. Through Christ, God offers salvation to all. Isaiah, the prophet, speaks and writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2, saying this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Our first point today is this, God offers light in darkness. God offers light in darkness. Now it may be that if you live in this part of the world and you are tuned in or you are a part of this service that you understand acutely this Christmas the difference between light and darkness because we have had a winter storm descend upon us. Even here today, the winter storm has had impact at First Baptist Church but it has had impact in our region in terms of what are called rolling blackouts because the power grid can't sustain all of the HVAC units that are having to work so much harder to warm up houses in sub-zero temperatures and wind chills. And so they have had to institute, at least through the TVA, what are called rolling blackouts, and that means that your power has likely been out at some point over the last several days. And so if you're like us at our house, what does that mean? Well, it means that you took some time to prepare because you didn't know when the blackout was coming. So what did you do? You went and found the flashlights. How many of you went digging for flashlights? How many of you went digging for batteries for the flashlights because you haven't used them in a while and you gotta make sure they got batteries because a flashlight without a battery is no good. And so we went. And how many of you started charging your devices? We live in a world where we have to charge our devices now. So we wanted to make sure that all of our devices are charged. And then we turned on the gas logs because we needed some heat. We needed to prepare to be in cold darkness at our house. You probably have spent some time preparing to navigate cold darkness in your house. We understand darkness. And we also understand the power Of a little bit of light within that darkness and we're in a vast room this is one of the most grand rooms in the world I believe first time I ever was in here was at Christmas time and so I love this room at Christmas time some of you in here were part of the committee that designed this room thank you it is beautiful and it is wonderful but last night we were in this room and we were passing the light from the Christ candle We had our individual candles. They had what are called boba shays. I don't know if you knew that or not. The little piece of wax paper that goes around the candle, that's called a boba shay. It's supposed to keep the wax off your hand. And we passed the light from one to another. And you know what happened? This great room, when the lights were down and darkness filled the space, was illuminated by the light of little candles Hundreds of little candles as we sang, silent night, holy night. It's amazing what a little light will do in a vast darkness. Because not long ago, we had a light board problem, and in the middle of the service, all the lights went out. You remember the day the lights went out at First Baptist Church? I'm asking Reba McIntyre to write a song about it. She's good at that. It's a joke. Just making sure you're still awake on Christmas Day. We didn't have candles, did we? And it got pretty dark in here. It's amazing the power of a little light in a vast darkness. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says about Jesus Christ that in him was life, and that life is the light of men. The Bible says that apart from Almighty God, when we are separated from God in our sin, we are spiritually dead. And so if life in Christ is light, what must death apart from Christ be? Darkness. So I want you to think about something. When Jesus came into the world two millennia ago, there was no spiritual life. He brought life. And if there was no spiritual life, there was no spiritual light. And if there was no spiritual light, there was only darkness. And so we celebrate this time of year that there was the star of Bethlehem. We want it to shine on. But it wasn't just the star of Bethlehem that was illuminating the darkness at that time. No, the greater light was the life that was within Jesus Christ, the only spiritually alive being on the planet. He came and he brought light. Now what happened? People didn't want his light. I know, I know, the shepherds came, the wise men came, but then everybody went on back to life. And they continued walking in the darkness. In fact, when Jesus met with Nicodemus at night in John chapter three, verses 19 through 21, he said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." I heard a preacher one time use this analogy, and it's kind of gross on Christmas morning. I'm sorry, but it's effective. Have you ever seen when you walk into a room of a tenement and it's infested with cockroaches and you flip on the light, what happens? What do they do? They get away as quick as they can, right? Because they don't like the light. The light exposes them. That's what Jesus is saying the light does to those of us who prefer darkness because our deeds are evil. We We spread out. We get away from the light. We try to hide. Adam and Eve when they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. But God nonetheless has sent his light, and he has invited all people to come. He said, I am the light of the world. And he told him in John chapter 12 that the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. In fact, Jesus calls us out of the darkness and into his light. John would tell us in First John chapter 1 verses 5 through 7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. The prophet said seven centuries before the coming of Christ that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, light has shown. Here's my question. Where are we today? Am I walking in the light of Christ or am I groping around in the darkness trying to find my way? Do you know the light, Jesus, Jesus? welcomes all people to come and bask in the warmth of his radiant glow some people want to choose the darkness but god calls us all to the light may we walk in it verse 3 God offers victory over oppression now this is unbelievable you're gonna love this Isaiah speaks of the days of Midian do you know what he's talking about there this is phenomenal if you go back to Judges chapter 6 you remember the book of Judges is just this repeated process of God's people doing what is right in their own sight incidentally that was never what was right in God's sight. They were doing what was right in their own sight and then they were incurring the punishment for doing what was right in their own sight and contrary to what God would have them do. And so what happened? Well, God gave the people into the hand of Midian for seven years. And in Judges chapter 6 it tells us that the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord." Midian was oppressing them deeply and so what did they do they who had turned away from God were in need of help has that ever been you it's been me I've turned away from God done my own thing it didn't go well I bore the consequences and so what did I do I returned to God and I begged him for help I hope you do that this Christmas, if you're running as far, as, you can, uh, as far away as you can get from God, turn to him and ask for help, because here's what he'll do. He'll help, because his character is different from yours and mine. We would have been done with us a long time ago. He's not. He loves us and wants nothing but the best for us. So what did God do in the days of Midian? He raised up a mighty man of valor named Gideon. Now there's a little sarcasm in that mighty man of valor moniker because Gideon was one of those who kept coming back to the Lord for a sign. Lord could you just give me a sign? Lord could you just give me something on the fleece? Lord could you just reassure me that what you said would come true? Lord I guess I'll do it if you want me to but could you help me know that it's going to come the way that you said it's going to come. And God I have to imagine with his tongue in his cheek just a little bit kept calling Gideon a mighty man of valor and what happened God raised up 32,000 people to fight under the command of Gideon to go against the Midianites but God said 32,000 is too many so what did he do he reduced the number from 32,000 to 10,000 and then God said again 10,000 is too many so he reduced the number from 10,000 to how many? Three hundred. Why did he do that? When Judges 7-2 it tells us the Lord said to Gideon The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand Lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me It's almost as if God knows what we think before we think it He said you have too many people If you win, you're going to pat yourself on the back You're going to hurt yourself congratulating yourself. So I will take your numbers down to an absolutely impossible contest so that when you overcome the Midianites, you will realize that it wasn't you who overcame the Midianites. You'll realize it was me. It's almost like this. It's almost like a vast world filled with human beings who had turned away from God, who were dwelling and walking in darkness, groping around, trying to find their way the best they could. And instead of some amazing sign in the sky that filled the earth and called all people to look up all around the globe, it's almost as if God inserted his greatness into the womb of a little virgin maiden who gave birth in a stable and laid her baby in a feeding trough." It's almost as if God caused his angelic announcement to go to shepherds, just the working folks out there trying to take care of the food and the textiles. It's almost as if God said, I will do this in such a way That no one of any great might and power would look upon this and say God would do it that way now I'll do this in a way that magnifies my greatness so what did he do he reduced the number of Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300 and gave the Midianites into their hand and they glorified God what did he do he sent his only begotten son through the womb of the Virgin Mary, to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie to bring light to the darkness. Incidentally, has his plan been effective? Yeah. In a stable on the other side of the world, in a town deemed too small to be cared about, God has gathered billions and billions and billions of human beings all around the world, and we worship Him today. In fact, as we step into the new year, we're going to talk about the fact that it's 2023 Anno Domini. Now I know, I know, those who are sophisticated say, no, no, no. We call it now the Common Era. It's no longer A.D., it is C.E. But The joke's on them because the number is still the same, and the number is still based upon the birth of Jesus Christ. It is the year of our Lord, 2022, soon to be the year of our Lord, 2023. God did something amazing. He offers victory over oppression, but the victory he gives does not come by our own hand. It comes by His hand, by His grace, and by His mercy. And now verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this how many of you are hearing handle in your mind my goodness third point today god offers everlasting hope and peace. God offers everlasting hope and peace. Jesus brought light into the darkness. He brought hope to the hopeless. He brought peace to those who lived in nothing but tumult. He brought joy to those who dwelt in the sadness that sin produces, all because of the great and amazing love that he has for us. And one day, For all of us who are in Christ, we look forward to a day when all will be made right. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more ache. Some of us on this Christmas morning are dealing not only with the joy of Christmas Day, but we're dealing with the ache of loss, the ache of difficulty. I want you to hear in Jesus' name, God sees you. And he meets you where you are, but I want you to hear the hope that he gives through Jesus Christ that transcends this world. This world is not all there is. For one day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. That's already been inaugurated in a little stable in a little town of Bethlehem. That's why we're gathered on Christmas morning. But one day, all will be made right. And I want you to hear something. In Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, here is a glimpse of what is coming. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, It appears this day that the government does not rest upon the shoulders of Jesus who is the Christ. But I can assure you that the day is coming when it will. And for all who trust and follow Jesus, all who have repented of sin and and given their lives to Jesus Christ to trust and follow him, that will be a good day. For those who have not, that will be a terrible day. For someone has to pay the price for our sin. It's either us, or it's Jesus. Before Jesus came, it was all on us. That's the best we could do, to bear the weight of our sin in God's righteous judgment of our lives. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his son so that we might come to him, turning away from sin and receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior so that we might be forgiven, made clean, and that when the world looks upon him and says he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, sitting upon the throne of his father David, then we will rejoice and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for what former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.